Hello, hello. It is great to see you again. And welcome back to another installment of Optimizing Your Financial World. I'm your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff. As always, we've got the star of our show, Mr. Mark Wade of Echelon Family Office standing by. He'll be joining me momentarily. Uh, but look, first and foremost, we're going to take a moment and say thank you to the audience for joining us and jumping aboard here on today's show. You know, as, as many of you know, uh, you know, this show is about wealth management related discussions. We are tapping into Mark's nearly four decades of experience dealing with wealth management topics. And as Mark has mentioned time and again on this show, it's the only thing he's ever done done. So clearly, there's a lot of insights that we can pluck from Mark in terms of these wealth management related topics and through his conversations with clients to leave you with some tips, some strategies to help ultimately optimize your own financial world. That being said, today's episode, we got a really good one for you today. I like it a lot because it piggybacks off of our last conversation, which we spent a lot of time talking about preparing heirs for their inheritance, that wealth that will one day be theirs. You know, we're, we're taking time to really uh, help establish that level of financial intelligence among the heirs. And today we're kind of doing the prelude, if you will, to that conversation. Uh, you know, we're going to be talking about this one all-inclusive strategy that can be used to help educate those, uh, those heirs, the children of a given family on the family's wealth, and ultimately align the family as a whole when it comes to the wealth. I'm talking about a family constitution. But first, let's go ahead and bring Mark out before I get ahead of myself to get the conversation rolling. So, hey, Mark, how are you doing this morning? Good to see you. Hey, Ryan. Great to see you this morning. I know we've got a, we've got a great conversation in, on tap for today. I agree. You know, we're sticking with this theme of, of family wealth today, you know, piggybacking off of the preparing heirs conversation. Today, we're diving into this idea of a family constitution. But Mark, to, to really start things off and, and get our conversation rolling today, let's start really with the basics. In your experience, what kind of unique challenges do you see arising when families with significant wealth, significant assets are attempting to work together to manage those assets? Oh, absolutely. You know, Ryan, affluence, you know, can, can really allow families to achieve great things when they have a shared vision. But it can also create some resentment and sometimes riff, which can potentially lead into, uh, you know, family estrangement among family members. And so consequently, when decisions about significant wealth involve multiple family members from more than one generation, there's great opportunity for conflicts to arise and uh, for those conflicts to be greatly magnified. Yeah, Mark, you and I were talking about this in our last episode. Family wealth, it can get a little sticky sometimes. You, these relate, you know, the relationships with your family members, of course, they're treasured, but whenever money seems to enter the picture, it can always make things a little more difficult than it might need to be. So let's get into these issues, Mark. Are there any specific wealth-related issues that you're seeing on your end among these families? Uh, maybe, maybe more so than others. Hey, Ryan, sometimes it depends you know, to a great degree on the amount of assets that we're talking about and whether that family is involved in a family business. Mm -hmm. You know, speaking broadly, wealthy families, you know, they grow and they expand over time. And the big issue that keeps, you know, raising its, its ugly head is whether or not they have that shared vision in order to be able to manage the shared capital together. You know, wealth can sometimes be commingled, you know, amongst uh, different legal structures, and, and specifically multi-generational trust. However, family members sometimes may feel wronged in some way uh, and 
may even prompt them to take some type of legal action to break up those trusts, you know, creating even more family unrest and more family disharmony and possibly even jeopardizing the entire bottom line for the family. Yeah, yeah. Obviously a scary situation whenever that comes into fruition. But so that being said, Mark, what would you say families can do then to create and then, of course, maintain harmonious relationships over time where the attitudes of the family and then, of course, their goals of what they want to achieve with the wealth are more aligned? Everybody's working well together. What what can they be doing here? Well, to avoid those type of disastrous outcomes, you know, uh, and to help build and encourage family harmony, we often suggest that families consider creating a formal family constitution. Sounds silly or maybe unique, but, you know, a formal family constitution can really be an effective tool for helping families avoid conflicts and uh, facilitating agreement among family members. Uh, It can even help family members address their concerns and preferences in a a really constructive way. So often family constitutions lay out the future directions and actions that the family intends to take. Now, this is an approach we see oftentimes taken by the super rich, you know, those families with $500 million or more of, of, of family net worth, and they have significantly positive results from it. So if we take a look at that, we take that even a step further, uh, uh, some families should consider uh, not only their net worth, uh, but also if their net worth is significantly lower than that, this is truly an effective tool to use to bring that family together. Right, Mark. I mean, that's a big theme on this show. While yes, a lot of our conversations deal with affluence and like you said, these super rich individuals that, you know, you work with at Echelon Family Office that you've seen throughout your your four decades worth of experience in this space, you know, Yes, those people exist. And yes, you've worked with them, but there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from their best practices. And that's what we're doing here. We're going to bring that to you, our audience who may not have that kind of level of wealth. So that being said, Mark, walk me through the how now with the family constitution. How does this document then really get into the weeds of promoting better family relationships, especially when it comes to the wealth as a whole? Well, creating a family's constitution really begins by recognizing the fact that all families have some type of contentiousness in them, right? Nearly all families. No family members are going to disagree and sometimes even fight. So the family constitution seeks to spell out in specific ways how a family can can address those conflicts uh, that are almost certain to arise over time and across generations. Sure. So, Uh, yeah, go ahead, Mark. Yeah. And along those lines, Ryan, you know, one of the biggest goals of a family constitution is to prevent the type of family conflicts that can tear families apart and, and as a result, potentially diminish their family fortunes, right? So family constitutions are designed really, um, you know, they have, they detail how a family is going to deal with dissent when it arises, not if, but when it arises. So when there's a specific method for managing and and dealing with those family conflicts that's already in place, and those methods are well documented and described, then a family can be very effective at reducing the infighting, Uh, you know, and with hopes of even eliminating it, eliminating it happening even at all, right? So the whole point of the family constitution is to head off those conflicts by promoting communication, and, and working towards a consensus among the family members 
around their core principles, their values and their long-term intent. What do they want to see happen long-term? We get everybody on the same page. I, I love that. And for anybody in our audience is sitting there thinking, whoa, hey, this, this makes a lot of sense. Getting everybody on the same page, understanding what our direction is as a family and what we want to achieve with our wealth. It makes sense, right? So then how would a family, Mark, go about drafting this family constitution <clears throat> and making sure that the constitution is going to achieve the types of goals and outcomes that the family wants? How, how do they get started really and draft it? Well, let's look at what it should do, right? A family constitution at the very minimum uh, should, uh, amongst a variety of other things, help the family equitably address issues around its wealth, which, you know, it could include things such as operating a family business or a family a commonly owned real estate or even other types of real property such as art, uh, as well as the invested wealth and the financial savings. You know, specifically, a family constitution should probably specify, you know, how the wealth is to be used by family members, what are the intentions, uh, but what are the intentions now, what do they want to accomplish now, and, how, you know, and specifically how the wealth is to be spent, invested, and of course donated, and who makes those decisions and how the decisions are being made, how family members can provide input and impact the decision-making around the distribution and the use of that wealth. Um, and you know, lastly, maybe even how family members are prepared to perpetuate the values that they have decided or that are important to them while they're managing the family wealth. Mm -hmm. In general, uh, a family constitutional will create, will, are gonna include, let's say three basic sections, right? Now, one is, who is the family? You define who the family is. So as you know, families become larger intergenerationally, you know, sometimes those decisions that are made specifying who's family and who is not are very important, how you decide who is family and who is not. So for example, sometimes family include those who will marry into the family. Uh, and then there's the ideology, extremely important. You know, this spells out what the family stands for including its various uh, values and objectives. What are the things that they're trying to accomplish? And the third thing I would say, you know, the reason for the family staying together. What is, what is the glue that holds this family together? It's got to be beyond just the financial element of it, right? Economics do play an important part. Don't get me wrong. And it is, like we mentioned, oftentimes the cause of a lot of family strife, you know, but the details and the rationale for managing this joint capital and the benefits of maintaining family cohesion. You know, it has to be spelled out. What are those reasons to keep this family together? You know, and it includes, you know, things such as love, concern, along with the financial considerations. You know, these are usually a part of this section that we call the reasons for staying together. Man, Mark, I love that high-level overview. I mean, there's a lot that really goes into this document that can oh, really lay yeah. the framework as to, you know, how this family is going to perpetuate their wealth and carry it forward. So you you mentioned a lot of different things that I do want to unpack in that. And that first thing is the who part. Who from a family, Mark, should be involved in discussing these issues and then going through that creating and drafting of the document itself? The who? Who's that? 
Yeah. Okay. So let's start at the top, right? Who are the key decision makers, you know, across the entire family that need to be involved and need to have their opinions and their, and their values and concerns heard. Uh, so in developing the family constitution, you have to gain consensus among all the family members. So if you don't have broad-based agreements, you know, the family constitution is not even going to be well-written, right? Or written at all for that matter. And if it is written, will it likely not be contested chances are if it's not well written and everyone's voice is not heard there's a good chance that constitution will be contested so a family constitution it ought to be written with you know when family relationships are at a good place it should be written when the family is in a strong place and the red relationships are not significantly strained uh, so that right there will make the consensus more likely when people are in the right frame of mind and they want to do the right things for the long-term benefit of the family, you know, consensus is much more likely in that case, you know, and all parties should be motivated, you know, to reach a, a good agreement and develop shared solutions. Makes sense, Mark. And one point of clarification that I'm sure I feel like we should make for our audience is, is could you talk to me a little bit about how formal of a document this really is? Like, are, are, is this a legal document we're talking about? Or is the family constitution more of a, a real structured set of guidelines and principles? What are we looking at on this front? Huh, great question, Ryan. <laughs> so, so, you know, a huge thing that we all have to understand is that a family constitution has got to be seen like a living document. It's not the kind of thing you write once and you throw it in a draw and, and it just sits there and it's going to be the same forever. It's not a static one and done type of agreement that you create and just file. Okay. It's likely to be an, it's, it's likely going to be important that there's flexibility involved. So it's, it's really important that you that the family constitution has the ability to be modified over time as family circumstances evolve. Think about that. Mm -hmm. So you have to adopt that flexible approach I mentioned, say certain family members can be given more authority over time. You know, that might be a, a point that you have to consider in there. Now, as they get older and more trustworthy, for example, we should be able to entrust them with more responsibility. So that approach is going to encourage family harmony over the years, you know, as those families evolve and as they grow and expand. Right. So, so Mark, you know, it sounds to me as this document, which obviously is, is evolving and changing over time, given various circumstances across the family evolving and changing over time, that it sounds like there's, this isn't really a legal document. It's more of a set of guidelines and principles that do, that are updated over time, but should be viewed as a really, you know, key focal point within the family's viewpoints on wealth. So I, I appreciate you kind of clarifying that for us, because obviously it's not, it's not a legal document if it's changing and flowing over time and, and really meant to just be really a framework. Um, Mark, we're hitting our audience with a lot today, and, and there's a lot of great information that's contained within this family constitution. And if, if anybody out there is thinking, man, this makes sense, and there's probably a place for this within me and my family, who then should they turn to for help with all of this? And, and when I say all of this, I mean a lot. I mean, it's the process of identifying those family goals and concerns to creating the document itself. And then, of course, like you had just mentioned, maintaining that document over time. Who should a family turn to for help with this? Wow. Yeah. So that's a, also another great question. You're, you're, you're really hot today, Ryan. <laughs> now, 
gaining consensus, getting everybody to agree upon what is important to the family and what's important. What is that common family agenda, right? So gaining consensus often requires two very important things. If you think about it, life requires these two important things all the time, right? Openness and cooperation among the family members. How often do we see where that doesn't exist? But in order for this family constitution to be effective, you have to have openness and, con and uh, cooperation while you're creating it. So to that end, a lot of wealthy families use what we call a facilitator to help them work through those relational issues uh, and the emotions that are involved, you know, when you're trying to attach, you know, financial issues to emotional and family issues. So, you know, we've seen that conversations around family money oftentimes can get pretty intense. Can you imagine that, Ryan? Uh, <laughs> as they often overlap with family history and, and other types of acrimony that might exist among the family members. You know, nowadays, social and political differences also make uh, conversations around family money even more complicated. Uh, and so, you know, a third party facilitator now, oftentimes can help keep the tensions at bay, keep family members focused on the agendas instead of concentrating on their differences that could develop into anger. I hear you. I hear you there, Mark. And Mark, as we're bringing our conversation to a head here on the Family Constitution, I mean, boy, have we shed a lot of light on what the document is, what's in it, how it operates, how it evolves. I mean, there's a lot that's going on here with this living, breathing document <clears throat> in the Family Constitution. But to let's let's in closing, shall we bottom line it for our audience? Could you walk me through then kind of in your mind these key reasons why a family should be considering implementing a family constitution these days? Sure. Sure. So, you know, values, principles, it should memorialize a family's principles and the values that they share. Uh, in addition to that, it should also establish checks and balances among various different interests inside the family, right? As well a way, as, as ways, let's say, or methods to address any conflicts that are going to arise because they will. And, uh, and, you know, what are what communication protocols are you going to use? How are we going to discuss this? When are we going to discuss this? It should also promote some sense of accountability among the family members who's responsible for what, and also ensure flexibility. So again, as the family changes, we can bring other players up into the decision making process. I love that, Mark. I appreciate you kind of summarizing it for us. And you know, Mark, one thing I'm thinking here is, is in piggybacking off of our last conversation with preparing heirs, you know, a big part of our conversation from preparing heirs is this idea of education, right? You know, you want to instill this level of financial intelligence among your heirs and the earlier, the better, right? This, you know, this family constitution is a great way to do that and establish it early for those heirs. So that way they're growing up with, with a real connection to the family's well-being and the family's wealth and, you know, maybe the charitable intent that the family, you know, adds into their wealth. So there's a lot of long-term value that I'm seeing with this, this living, breathing family constitution uh, that really plays well into our conversation from last time surrounding, hey, when that moment comes to transfer wealth to your heirs, boy, would it be nice to have them prepared already? And it sounds like this family constitution would be a nice way of doing that. Um, but anyway, look, Mark, I appreciate you taking your time today. If anybody was with us today, you know, watching, listening to our conversation, maybe they're interested in continuing it with you and your team over at Echelon Family Office. How would they go about reaching out to you, getting that conversation started? Sure, Ryan, they could visit us online at 
www.echelonoffice.com. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N office.com. They can contact me directly at M-W-A-D-E. That's M-Wade at echelonwealth.com. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N wealth.com. And also they could call our office at 888-892-9882. Fantastic. Well, hey, Mark, again, once more, appreciate you taking some time out of your day to be with us, to you know share your insights on the family constitution. And I'm looking forward to having you back on for the next episode here soon. Always a pleasure, Ryan. I look forward to the next. All righty. Appreciate you, Mark. And hey, look, we want to take one final moment to thank you, our audience, as always, for jumping aboard today's show. And remember, if you liked what you saw and you liked the conversation today, please feel free to like the show, comment on it, subscribe to it on whichever platform you're checking us out on. And then, of course, share this information with friends and family. At the end of the day, we're tapping Mark's brain for four decades worth of experiences to talk strategies and insights that you can ultimately implement into your own financial world to help optimize it. It's in the name of the show. So for Mr. Mark Wade, I'm Ryan Ruff saying so long, and we thank you guys so much for joining us on today's edition of Optimizing Your Financial World.